Welcome to the LNT Chat Show, and today I have uh, Mary Jacob uh, with me. Mary, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I've been uh, part working in Aberystwyth University uh, since 2005, to be honest with you. I used to be American. Um, and for the past five years, I've been the coordinator of the Postgraduate Certificate in Teaching and Higher Education. And before that, I was e-learning advisor. And when I was back in the States, I taught Chinese language and literature. So um, at University of California, Davis. So I have quite a bit of different flavors of teaching, learning and teaching experience. Um, but right now, uh, my focus is really on helping staff to develop themselves as professionals, as professional educators in the university. So my students are staff members and um, and I love it. And, and what 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 was the process by which you transferred from teaching, uh, you know, quite a specific subject into going into sort of the, the more learning and teaching focus? Well, I was all from the moment that I started as a lecturer in California, I was very keen on developing myself. So I pursued all kinds of um, opportunities to train and learn and read more. Um, and then I became active in the Summer Institute on, on Teaching with Technology. So I was presenting on that and helping other people to use technology to um, design their own learning. And when I moved to Aberystwyth, um, that's a long personal story, which we won't go into at the moment. Fair but um, when I moved to Aberystwyth, I realized I couldn't, there wasn't any opportunity to continue with Chinese. So I shifted to the other thing that I was already enjoying doing, which was supporting staff. And then um, you know, that set me off on a really a wonderful journey of my own personal development and helping others develop. So, yeah, so and this is sort of another field. OK, and, and today we're going to be talking about um, active learning. So was there a, a particular moment when you became aware of active learning or you saw it or, you, you know, you were doing something and you realized actually this is what it is? Absolutely. I think a lot of people have that kind of light bulb moment, don't they? So for me, I always used an interactive, very active method, even in lectures. Um, and then after I came here, I started hearing about active learning and reading up on that and realizing that this is what a lot of staff need, some great ideas um, about how to get students actively engaged in learning and not just passively trying to absorb a lecture you know, and and hope that they'll remember everything you said for those 50 minutes and then give it back on a test. That's not very meaningful for one thing. And most students won't be able to learn that way. So I I began reading. I went to the Active Learning Network Global Festival and their annual conference. And then I have the latest development is that um, I found that group very inspiring. Um, and also very generous and supportive um, with their free books that you can download from the website. So I decided that at Aberystwyth we would um, benefit from establishing a satellite group. So we've just done that in the last two months, established a satellite group here. Um, the other thing that uh, I think is quite important is that uh, we lobbied to, in my group, we lobbied to incorporate active learning into the learning and teaching strategy very explicitly. And that has that has been taken up by our um, pro vice chancellor for learning and teaching. And really, it's a great opportunity because it kind of gives people 
permission. It says, yeah, this is something we we know it works. We are encouraging staff to do something that might be innovative. Not everybody necessarily all in lockstep. Everybody has some uh, agency within departments and even individuals to decide what's going to help my students with this subject best. So I think it's quite an exciting time. Um, and we've seen some, some great examples of active learning coming out from uh, Aberystwyth University staff. Um, I also want to mention, I didn't mention the name of the team that I'm on. I'm in the Learning and Teaching Enhancement Unit here at Aberystwyth University, and it's really a great team. So we, we work together and, and support each other in this. So yeah, so for me, it was that light bulb moment. It's like active learning, yes, that's what I was doing some of that already. And here's the reason why it works. And let's help other people do it too. Okay, so I, I, I may actually come back to you about uh, some of the things that you're doing in Aberystwyth. Um, but I know that you are, and correct me if I've got this wrong, you are contributing to a, a chapter in, uh, sorry, well, you're contributing to a book, you're contributing a chapter um, to a book. Is the book specifically about active learning? Yes, um, this is a wonderful, actually, it's a wonderful book, if I may say so. Um, it's edited by Wendy Garnham and Isabel Gowers. And Wendy is one of the founding members of the Active Learning Network, and they're also active in CETA. So it's being published, it's called Active Learning in Higher Education, and it's being published by Routledge, um, and it's under a, the CETA label. Um, and I don't have the exact publication date at the moment, but we might have that in the notes. Well, that, that's fine. Yeah, ho hopefully we can time the, the publication of this episode um, with the publication of, of the chapter. So do you want to just tell us a little bit about what's in, in your chapter then? Yeah, so I, as I was working, especially with the, in the pandemic, with everything shifting to online teaching and, and sometimes that can put a damper on that active learning. You know, it's like, oh, well, all, what can I do other than record a lecture? Um, I developed a training session for our staff about active learning and in the process of working with this we it became clear to me that one way to make sure that your teaching is active and not passive is to make sure that you've got some type of active cognitive task for your students to do so this is a mental task a cognitive task and it's active not passive um, and you can design this even around those readings, around those transmission style lectures. Um, so I looked at several different frameworks and I pulled together a model for active cognitive tasks. And that's what the chapter is about. Um, but the basic idea with that is that students are not only reading the article, but what are they doing? in their minds while reading the article. The best students will create their own active cognitive tasks, but the ones in the middle and the ones who need it the most will struggle or might not even realize what else they can do besides hoping they, they remember the detail. So a task might be, while you're reading this article, look for holes in their argument or compare the argument of these authors with the arguments of other authors in other articles you've read, which one is more persuasive and why? You know, what does the evidence show you? Um, or think of real world examples. Maybe you're giving a lecture about some fairly abstract theoretical construct, but it, 
I mean, you wouldn't be telling your students that if it didn't have connect to something real. Mm. So this could be within a lecture, this could be in a reading. What real world examples, what examples can you find where this is in practice? And then, um, so you're, you're using those cognitive strategies that help students to do a deeper level of learning. Um, and you're giving them something active to do. Also, it's, it's quite important to link, if it's something that you want students to do outside of class as preparation, you don't just say, watch this video and that's the end of it. Watch this video, think of the real world examples, and we will discuss it when we meet in class next time, or we will you know, post into the discussion board and Blackboard or whatever that might be, so that all the pieces are linked together. The interactive parts are linked with the preparation task. Um, and that helps to motivate students to actually do it. Um, yeah, so I, I use that method quite a lot in my uh, PG CERT seminars for uh, my own students in the modules that I teach here at Aberystwyth. And I sort of developed my own personal style for that, but there's you could do it anyway, whatever makes most sense for, for you and your students. Yeah, I mean, I, certainly my experience of teaching online, and, and I did feel that there were lots of mm. um, positives that came out of that. And in some respects, the the reason why, as with all things, when something first happens and, you, and you're changing, um, you know, there, there's, a, there's a lot of um, stuff that you have to try and, and not succeed with in order to work out the things which are, uh, which are best and then refine those. And in some respects, not that I would wish the pandemic to last longer on anybody, um, but I think I felt like we were just beginning to get to grips with that when we transitioned back into the, the classroom, although last year, we were doing hybrid teaching, so we, we did a bit of both. But for me personally, I do a lot of practical activities. I like the students to learn by doing, and that was the bit I really struggled with um, online. And um, I guess we do, you know, I'm very conscious of the fact that if you show students a video, what you really need to do is, is almost give them a set of questions before you show them the video so that they are watching the video um, actively so that there are things they are looking for as opposed to just sitting and you know letting it wash over them. Do you find that um, uh, students do engage though? If you're asking them to repeat the cognitive skills that they're using when you're actually in a face-to-face -face setting, even if it's um, online, that when they're asked to then go um, and do that themselves, do they engage or there are other things that you need to ask or, or other sort of instruments well, you need to give them? Well, I found, you know, like everybody else, I've, I modified my teaching approach for the online teaching and developed some new things. And some of those I'll continue using even, you know, if we, you know, are not doing anything online, um, although I can't really imagine that as, as our future. Um, so what I used to do is I would organize seminars and I would give them a reading, an article to read, and we come in and discuss in sort of the traditional way. I give them a couple of thought questions, maybe two or three questions to think about. But when I took the article, I would print it out, highlight, you know, all the keywords and the phrases and things I thought were, were provocative. And I would scribble all over it with questions and all this stuff, annotate it for myself. Then we would come in, sit around a table. And even with the PG cert folks, you sometimes see the usual suspects who might dominate the discussion and everybody else quickly learns, I'll, I'll just sit back and listen to them talk. 
And so that's a familiar scenario. Uh, my 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 participants tell me they experience that with their own students. I've experienced that in various contexts. So what I did when we moved to online was I I would download a PDF of the article, highlight it, but I put a whole as I read through it, I would imagine myself in conversation with the participants. So I would put questions and I found I was putting a lot more questions, thought questions into the article in the in the form of comments, plus the highlighting. Same kind of task I would do for myself, but now I'm doing it for them. And I would say, OK, these are these are the three main questions I want you to think about, but read this annotated version of the article. And when we come into the I, I still use teams for these because my students are scattered all over. Um, but you could do it in a classroom situation. So when we come together, we will discuss these and I usually will make a worksheet that has what does this look like in traditional teaching? What does this look like, you know, in online teaching or, you know, what are you already doing? What might you do? Um, kind of similar to the worksheet with the uh, recently published GISC principles of good assessment and feedback um, guide. Um, they have a worksheet attached to that guide that is similar to the kind of thing that I do. In fact, I'm using their worksheet to, <laughs> to engage people with that, that. What are we already doing? What could we do? So something very simple. So what I do is I share that document through Teams, but you could use it with OneDrive or, or Google Docs or whatever you wanted. And I say, OK, the first couple of minutes, everybody type in your answers into this form. Add a row, add a bullet point. And they all do. They've right. prepared. They've formed the ideas in their minds in response to the article so that everybody contributes. And that only takes a couple of minutes to everybody typing in at the same time. I get excited. You can see this. And then um, and then we build our discussion around their contributions. We elaborate. We do all of those. Again, these are, you know, uh, you know, sort of very sound strategies based on cognitive science um, in terms of elaboration and real world examples type thing. Um, and then we build that discussion. So people have the opportunity to contribute in two ways, either by typing or by speaking. Some people are reluctant to speak, but they're happy to type. Um, but I find it gets more balanced contributions that way than it did in a physical classroom where the first Two people who speak often tend to uh, signal to the others unintentionally, I'm sure, that the others can be passive and just listen to those couple of people talk. Yeah. So, so that well, so that's just one example. It, it's interesting because um, uh, if I was going to point out, and I, I I have done this in a in another episode. Um, one of the things that um, I, I'm, I'm aware of colleagues having used a lot of uh, online things um, to enhance contribution in lectures. This was from the face to face page. And I tried a few out and, and just I, I thought they were a bit gimmicky. But then, of course, when everything went online, we didn't have a lot of choice. Um, and one of the things that I have continued forward um, from the online uh, teaching is Padlet. Um, because oh, yeah. it's, a, it's a very good way then of saying to students, OK, I want you all to con contribute. You can all use your phones if you want to, or if you've, you know, you've got a laptop or a tablet, then you can use that. It's anonymous, so they don't have to worry about, you know, their response being judged. 
And I guess because one of the things that I noticed in the way that they interacted uh, with us in the remote environment is they spend so much time, you know, texting and direct messaging and using um, social media apps that for them, in some respect, being able to interact in that way um, was almost sort of more familiar uh, to them. Um, and so that actually then, you know, because I, I completely agree with you. I mean, even if you even if you don't have people who are going to be, you know, the, the focal contributors, um, you, you know, it can still be difficult to to get people to express mm -hmm. out. I have to say, normally in a face to face environment, because that was a that was an early issue for me. You, you know, you've got two or three dominant voices and you've got some people who will never contribute. So I tend to always get students to actually discuss in groups. Yes. Um, and we use a random number generator. And I say to whoever's in the group, if you're not somebody who's particularly confident about teaching, that's fine. Write down what the other people are saying. And then, you know, if you happen to be randomly selected and it is random, um, then you can just read your notes. And, and you know, if the other people in the group want to contribute something, what you've written. So I guess that does encourage students to 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 offer a little more that that was one very good example Do, are there are there others that have stood out for you either from your own teaching or from the stuff that you've read or you've seen other people doing with active learning yeah well definitely i think and that there are ways that you can find the equivalent kind of activity padlet is great um mentimeter vivox whatever you pull everywhere whatever of those um you know voting in-class voting systems are really great um just to give everyone a chance to contribute and as you say making it anonymous and it's the same thing with typing into the shared document in teams making it anonymous means that those who might be you know a little bit less confident or unsure if they've got the right answer or shy about speaking up in front of others they can still contribute and they and everybody can see what you know they can see that, oh, I had this idea, but other people had the same kind of feeling or the same kind yeah. of thought. So that's reassuring and inclusive. I think it's very much more inclusive. Um, the other thing that I find is really interesting. I mean, I sort of grew up on the think, pair, share kind of approach, um, even back in the States. So that's not a new thing to me, uh, where you give the students, I usually would do one minute think, here's the question, one minute, think about it, then two minutes, discuss it with the person next to you and come up with as many ideas as you can. I've, I've used this in a lecture of 100 people. Um, it was the Great Books of China where I did this, you know, 100 people in a lecture and all of a sudden they're, we're quiet. And then we're talking to each other and it becomes really loud and I'm circulating around a little bit, sort of listening in, but not intervening. And then the last couple of minutes, different pairs will share. And as you say, I think it's really valuable to have that pair or small group kind of activity so they can test out their ideas, they can formulate them, and then if they want to, they can share what the other person said. That's perfectly fine, you know, but they're contributing and they've had a chance to sort of practice and rehearse and mm. test, and that builds confidence. So they might not be, you know, initially confident in speaking out in a large group, but with the person next to them, yes, they can have have that one to one or in a small group uh, conversation more easily, and it validates the um, the contributions from everybody, and it also feeds back to 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 us as lecturers. How well do they understand that? Um, what is their prior knowledge? When I did 
I did one with um, the very beginning. We were looking at the, the philosophers, the Chinese philosophers, Confucius and Lao Tzu and people like that. I said, OK, before we even do any any talking about Confucius, brainstorm as many different ideas that you have in your mind in association with Confucius. Um, as you can, and then we'll we'll talk about who he really was. We'll look at some of the readings and all this stuff. So, some of them were like, you know, okay, fortune cookie, Confucius says kind of thing. Yeah. But then some of them really had a deep knowledge already based on prior experience. So that was validating for that whole spectrum and valuable for me as a teacher to know that they had that prior knowledge. That some of them had a deeper understanding to begin with so i could build on that validate their contributions and sort of weave it all in together and i mean it, it energizes i'm sure i can tell you're the same kind of teacher um, doesn't it energize us as the teachers when that happens we we're sort of like making these connections from idea to idea and person to person yeah no absolutely um i think because I've used flip lectures for, for, for many years. So um, my experience is much more uh, seminar based, although many of those have been quite large seminars. And, mm. um, you, you know, I, I explained to the students very early on that as, for me personally, I think at least 70 percent of the contribution should be coming from them because it's about them. You, you know, I am one person in the room. Yes, I'm supposed to be the expert in this. But actually, if you're drawing on lived experience, if you've got another 50 people in the room, then you get 50 opportunities for, for people to contribute extra things. And, and I always think it's nice when a student says something and I go, oh, I, I didn't know that. Now I do. And I, I, you know, I can pass that information on. I still remember um, mentioning to students or I, I asked the question, um, uh, can anyone sort of try and explain uh, how Tesla has managed to become the uh, most valuable car company in the world. It overtook Honda briefly, um, despite the fact that it's never made a profit selling a car. And, and they had all these discussions about you know how the market works and investment and future projections and all the rest of it. And then I had one student who said, well, actually, they did make a profit in the last quarter. And I said, oh, you know, I, I wasn't aware of that. So oh, I'll just have a quick thought. I said, oh, yeah, 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 absolutely right. And then was able to amend that um, for future things. That made sure I actually said to the students, I, this is what I'd said, and a student very kindly corrected me because, you know, if you're going to give real world experiences, then they are, you know, is a dynamic, movable feast. Um, but I think, you know, encouraging them to feel that they actually do have some knowledge. So you, your story about the, the Confucius, I have to say, I would I would be much more the fortune cookie end uh, rather than anything else. But I think that's that's lovely when students suddenly feel that, you know, they have something to contribute and they can participate more. And I love that idea of um, one of the descriptions of uh, the difference between flip lectures and non-flip lectures is you go from being um, the sage on the stage to being the guide at the side. And I just I love yeah. that idea of, you know, we are working together on this. You you aren't simply, you know, as you said at the beginning, it shouldn't be about that passive transmission of information that's then simply regurgitated in an assessment because yeah, there isn't really any great deal of, of, of learning in that. Um, so uh, in terms of what comes next, then, obviously, you're, you're continuing, presumably, the, the PG Cert or PG Cap training, and you, yes. you completed this chapter. Um, are you, are you going to be looking at specific things? Is there a next kind of project for you? 
Well, um, we've just established the satellite group and well, I put out the call um, for people to uh, indicate that they would like to join it um, just in within the last week. So we've had quite a few responses already. So the next stage will be to bring everybody together and say, what do you want to get out of this connection with the Active Learning Network? Um, and I mean, I, I know you're a member of that network as well. I just want to say it is inspirational. It is such a good organization to link up with and very generous as well. So, um, so we're looking forward to having some interaction with some of the more experienced network members and the Active Learning Network is starting a series of CPD sessions uh, with examples of the micro case studies in their latest book. These will be offered to the public in November. Um, so there will be encouraging our staff to, to attend those and cultivating interested staff members at Aberystwyth University uh, to become active learning champions. That's the idea. Um, but I, I don't want them to, I want to organize this in such a way that it doesn't feel like an obligation. It doesn't feel like extra workload, but it's mm. an opportunity for them to have that direct connection and to learn and to find support for the things they're doing and share the things they're doing um, already. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, yeah, so a lot of it is, um, you know, building on the, the work that went into that chapter. Um, and some of that is, is linking up the frameworks that uh, I used for developing those. I think it might be worth mentioning uh, what those frameworks are. So one of them is, of course, um, there's Micheline Chi's work on, with the ICAP framework, which is interactive, constructive, active, passive. That's a really valuable framework. I go back to the traditional Bloom's taxonomy and the higher orders of thinking. Yep. That's a, a really good way to tell how cognitive is your is your task. Um, and then uh, Diana Larlard's types of learning as expressed in the ABC learning design method. Uh, six types of learning and you could design an activity that incorporates more than one of those in one activity is a really great way to get yourself thinking outside of that transmission model. Um, and then finally, there's um, Petraea Redman and Alice Brown et al's um, framework for stu student engagement and online engagement in higher education. But actually, it works equally well for in-person engagement, where they look at cognitive engagement, behavioral engagement, emotional, social, and, and collaborative engagement. All of these, all of these speak to the same thing. These all fit together. Um, and, and I feel that having that solid pedagogical base and evidence base for, um, you know, and very concrete suggestions for the different aspects of making it active, making it cognitive and making it a task was really valuable. So um, really, I want to build on that. That's, okay, that's where I'm going. Excellent. And we'll, we'll try and make sure as many of the links are in the episode description as possible. Um, last but not least, then, if you've got somebody who's um, sort of either listening to this or has been thinking about uh, sort of active learning, is there is there any advice you can give them in terms of uh, a good starting point? Oh, yeah. Well, obviously, um, the Bonwell and Asen book is the classic. 
seminal work. It's got lots of concrete ideas. Basically, um, they define active learning as having students do something and think about what they're doing. So that's the task and the cognitive side, bringing those together. Um, I would say build trust with your students, give them some agency, have that tolerance for the silence in the classroom. You ask a question and people don't jump in right away. That's fine. That means they're thinking. So don't panic. That's a good thing. That's thinking time. So that's where the think pair share is a really nice entry strategy, I would say, towards active learning. It's interesting. You mentioned the the thinking time. Uh, that was always the thing that I found most difficult online. In in a classroom, you can kind of you can kind of see, and there is that sense of stillness, and and you know people are almost using micro expressions when they're when they're thinking and and occasionally they will kind of whisper to the person next to them <laughs> when we're remote especially since almost none of my students ever put their cameras on there's just like dead air and I, I had described it on several occasions as being like um uh, being a radio dj in that dead air is the <laughs> the one thing that just seems really awkward so um, I, I used to say um, that while they were thinking, um, for anyone who was struggling, I would just give them some um, some useless facts. So I, I, a lot of them were based around cooking because I have an interest in, in cooking amongst other things. Um, so I tell them things like uh, if you um, if you cut up carrots and actually stick them in the oven and as soon as they just start to go quite, quite a, a dark colour, take them out, um, they actually taste like treacle. So make of that what you will. But yeah, um, it, it, interesting. I, I honestly think sometimes that it, it is difficult to incorporate thinking time. And say even even when I've done uh, sort of active, responsive things myself, to a certain extent, it's been okay. Turn to your neighbour and discuss this. But actually, you know, maybe there should maybe we should get used to that idea of of okay, let's just take a moment and and think about it. So yeah, you're you're, yeah. you're thinking, pairing, and sharing. Um, uh, it, well, I, I shall be using it and seeing what happens. Well, uh, okay. Well, thank you so much for for that today, Mary. Um, good luck with the um, chapter being published. Um, I'm sure there's there's lots of things that we're going to put in the uh, episode description so that people can uh, follow this up. And thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>